Hello and welcome to the latest Moneymakers podcast with me, Jonathan Davis. Our topic today is the traditional and somewhat uh, fusty world, some would say, of private client investment management, a business which is facing a period of potentially radical change, driven by a potent combination of new technology, new regulations, some from the EU, and a growing demand from investors for better quality service. Just as the business of fund management has been forced into big changes in the last few years, following the implementation of the retail distribution review three years ago, so now the traditionally profitable but not always very efficient business of looking after private clients' money is also being driven in a new direction, towards what we hope is greater transparency, lower fees and better information and performance reporting. It's not just the threat of so-called robo-advice, that's the growing use of computerized algorithms to help plan investment portfolios, which is prompting change. There's also a raft of new startup firms that want to challenge the incumbents. Venerable names such as the private bank Coots and wealth managers like Rathbones and Bruin Dolphin. This is all good news for investors in theory, at least. But how well will it work out in practice? To discuss this interesting subject, I'm joined today by Tom Salter, the CEO of Net Wealth Investments, a new startup venture which looks to me and to some others as one of the most promising new challenger firms aiming to take on the established wealth management and private client investment business. Founded by two senior executives at Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, who should know where the bodies are buried, I suppose, the company has been funded by several well-known figures in the investment world, including Edward Bonham Carter, the deputy chairman of Jupiter Asset Management, and Merrin Somerset Webb, the popular editor of Money Week. The new firm is offering uh, to provide discretionary investment management for wealthy private investors for an all-in fee of around 0.6% per annum. That compares to the one5 to 2% per annum that is typically charged by wealth managers and private banks once you include all the costs that aren't always apparent at first sight. And that's a potentially handsome saving in a world of low prospective investment returns. Those figures include not just the investment management fee the new firm will charge, but also the charges of owning the funds in the portfolios that they will select on a discretionary basis. The firm can afford to offer this cheaper service by taking full advantage of the cost and efficiency gains which a web-based service offering mainly low-cost passive fund solutions can provide. So when I caught up with Tom Salter, I asked him first why he and his colleagues started their business and how they see the business opportunity in this interesting space. So Charlotte Ransom, my co-founder, and I kicked this off about this time last year, um, originally, with the aim to approach wealth management, as you said, in a slightly different way, but really to address something that we felt personally um, that the, the right service wasn't, wasn't there for us currently um, in the sort of more traditional wealth management and private banking market. The real reason is not the investment propositions, which you know, many wealth managers have very good investment propositions, but it's more to do with the, um, uh, the fee levels, number one, um, the, the, the transparency and um, you know, how much visibility I have of my investments, both from a, how much I'm paying, but also you know, how the performance and how the risks are. So really there's a, a fee angle and a technological angle there. So, I mean, implicit, this is, is a criticism that is often made of traditional wealth managers or, or private client uh, uh, firms, which is that uh, 
whatever their um, headline fees may be, actually they're more expensive than you realize when you uh, when you get down to it because there are lots of add-ons and hidden costs and so on. There isn't full transparency, as you say. Well, I think some some wealth managers are very are very good at being transparent, um, and some possibly less so. The main the main thing though is, is that ultimately these fee levels are too high for what for what you get, and that's a you know that's a, a belief that we have, um, and that you can you should be able to have access to the to the core ultimately diversified portfolio proposition um, for a lot less. And equally, at the same time, you know, provide a lot more sort of technological interaction with that, whether it's in terms of planning what you're investing for, or being able to interrogate you know, what you own and how you've made or lost money. Um, so I think there are definitely some some aspects that could be brought a little bit more up to date. Right. On just one on that first point, though, just to be clear about this, the market opportunity for you here rises arises. Uh, is that because of the new European uh, regulations, MIFID, or is it the, the fact that technology, computerized uh, financial planning is now easier to do, or some combination of all of those things? Well, it's definitely a combination of both of those, but I would also add to that um, the elements of the, especially, let's say, specifically in the UK market, where investors are required, um, there's a link to pensions, but also to the changes under RDR, to take more responsibility for themselves. Um, so with respect to pensions, it's the shift from defined benefit to defined contribution, which is the driver, and more broadly RDR, where you know, if you like, the advice market has been um, shaken up a bit for, for the better, but what is left is people um, who, you know, you could call them orphaned or not, but they are without advice or potentially wondering how they're going to, to plan their own finances. So there's, there's that which is a, a driving force for more people to, to need to do things themselves or to be prepared to approach it um, where they didn't have to think so much before. Um, there's the technological change which obviously facilitates a lot of the, the efficiencies and enhancements of, of the sort of technological interaction. And yes, transparency of fees, I think, is, is definitely something, and that's a broader theme across the asset management industry as a whole. But ultimately, I think it's not just transparency, it's really the, the levels that, that are charged within wealth management probably aren't justified by what people end up with. And that I'm being very, very I'm generalizing a lot because you know there are different levels of service across the market. It varies a lot from firm to firm, of course, but the general point, I'm sure, is one that uh, you certainly wouldn't find any disagreement from me on that anyway. But what kind of market are you looking for? Obviously, you've talked about the advice cap, or you refer to the advice cap, but presumably you're not just looking for people with uh, relatively small amounts of money. You're, you're, you're also looking for people, uh, as you say, uh, like yourself, who probably have a little more wealth than, uh, than the people who are normally talked about as being in the advice cap. Is that right? We are we're looking really for at the at the market covered by if you think the traditional wealth management uh, uh, industry, um, so from a, a couple of hundred thousand investable assets and upwards, our minimum is fifty thousand, but that's um, you know deliberately set lower than the majority of that market to allow a little bit more accessibility and obviously people to uh, try us out earlier earlier stages. But really, yes, it's very much going after what I would say the upper end of mass affluent through to through to high net worth. And at the top end, you know, we wouldn't expect people to be giving up their private banking relationships. But equally, to put you know people who have two or three private banks that they use to be able to put some money with us for the discretionary sleeve 
um, is would certainly be our target at the top end and, and more at the bottom end to be able to manage um, you know, the majority of someone's wealth. So but it's it, it, it probably worth just uh, clarifying for uh, listeners exactly what it is, that, that which part of the, the proposition you are actually offering. You're not offering comprehensive financial advice in, in the traditional sense. You're not doing things like um, you know estate planning and that kind of thing or specialist tax advice. That's not what you're doing. And nor you're doing um, legal advice, but what you're actually doing is you are you are providing an investment proposition. So for any given sum of money or given uh, portion of wealth, you are going to be looking after that money on a discretionary basis for those clients, and that's pretty much what you're doing. That's right. Yes, and you know, we will we will provide um, you know investment, so regulated investment advice from human advisors as well. If you if you want, um, the alternative is you can interact entirely digitally if that's your preference. Um, yes, we're focusing very much on that investment part, and um, we very much want to work alongside um, whole of wealth financial planners who are looking at all the other aspects, looking at estate planning and the, and the various aspects that you mentioned, but people, those people wouldn't typically be actually managing the money. Exactly. So, and, and basically that you would want to take people as you want to, if you, if you can, you want to take their ISAs, their SIPs, if they have a SIP, a self-invested personal pension, and any other uh, investable assets they have, which has come out of the financial planning process with a specific objective in mind. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we um, we offer the you know ISAs, JISAs, SIPs, and general uh, investment accounts. Um, and absolutely, so we, we think about wealth in in broadly three buckets. And and I think you know bucket one being cash, bucket three being things that potentially you're interested in investing in. So you know some people like my mother that that bucket doesn't exist. Um, but for me, I'm, there are things I'm interested in investing in, and for some people it's stock picking, for some people it's a particular manager, for some people it's a second home, um, but very much the, you know, things that don't necessarily end up with a well thought through diversified portfolio. And then we see ourselves in, in the second bucket, which is really you know, slightly more sleep well money, you could call it the, the boring bits, but it's well diversified across asset class, across region. Um, it's not aiming to shoot the lights out. It's aiming for you know, real capital growth and, and at the lower end of the risk spectrum plus a little bit and at the upper end of the risk spectrum plus a little bit more. Um, and you know, we would see that as a core part of anyone's portfolio, whether you're an active investor or not. Um, as I said, for my mother, it's probably you know, 95%. Um, for me, maybe it's, it's more like 70 because I, you know, there are things that I'm interested to invest in as well. Well, we don't have time to go into those interesting things. Yeah, we might be investing into them, but let's look at the a typical proposition. Let's look at the fees. I mean, what you actually get for your money. Well, first of all, you know, what are the fees, and uh, how do they compare to what you would have to pay if you went to a wealth, a traditional wealth manager or private bank for this part of the service that those other providers would be offering? So our fees um, start so at fifty thousand. They are zero point six five percent. Um, and that goes down to 0.35 for 500,000 and above. So those fees are inclusive of um, you know, the, the management of the assets, the custody, the administration, um, any trading commissions, um, and VAT. What they don't include is um, you know, what we then go on and invest in, where we're um, across this um, diversified portfolio, we're using primarily um, tracker funds and, and passive ETFs 
some direct holdings, for example, in, in UK gilts, where we don't really want to pay to manage what is a very, very simple exposure. Um, the all-in cost of that layer is in the region of 0 0.2, 0 0.25%. So for the 500,000 above, that's really an all-in top-to-bottom TER of 0.6, going up to 0.9 for the, um, the 50,000. So, and how does that compare to competitors? I mean, I'm familiar with people talking about the real cost of, of going to a, a typical wealth manager, a conventional wealth manager, is probably uh, twice that at least, I would think, between one and a half and two percent. Is that a reasonable estimate? Yeah, I think that's, that's a reasonable estimate. I mean, you can, depending on the report you read, the, the top to bottom averages are, you know, is in the region of 1.8-ish, um, and that can be significantly higher, and it can be, you know, quite a lot lower, depending on the wealth manager you choose. But I, I think certainly our, our all-in top to bottom costs should be substantially less than most, if not all, um, traditional managers out there. Right, but I have to say, I suppose the point there is that we don't yet know how a lot of these firms are going to react to the new regulatory regime and new competitive landscape. So those their fees in future might come down. We don't know for certain yet. We all, we're all very interested to see what might happen. But Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, well, we, we would see ourselves probably as part of the vanguard um, of, that, uh, of that movement. I mean, you can look forward 20 years and you know, you've got to look at the current fees now and think they have to change. I think that's it's just simply a matter of time. We also try to, um, this started with our Charlotte and I um, wanting to invest and get our family on board as well and being able to almost look after them. But we have um, this idea of our, our net wealth network, um, which now is really family and friends. But if you think the the um, example is, you know, my, my mother has a, a drawdown um, and you know, I'd like her to be able to invest alongside me. Um, if we look at the fee rates that we apply, we add together the contributions across anyone in, in my network to work out the fee rate. So if I had 300,000 on the platform, for example, and she had 250, we would both benefit from the 500,000 um, fee rate. Um, then if I had an adult child who, who was coming in with maybe, you know, started their working life, um, 5,000, so not only would they not have to uh, fulfill the minimum, but they would also benefit from that lowest fee rate as well um, as part of my, my family and friends. Okay, so that's a useful benefit by aggregating the family money you can get the, in, in, if you qualify, you can get the lower fee uh, that, yep. you're, that you're offering. But just looking at that lower fee that you're offering, and say take the 0.35% for anything above 500,000 as a, as a group or individually. So what you're actually getting for that, what you're offering people is you are effectively designing a portfolio for them based on information that they've provided through questionnaires and, and uh, what uh, in other circumstances we call a, a robo-advice type algorithm. And then you're investing the money uh, on basically on a kind of top-down asset allocation basis. Is, is that right? Well, the last one, I, I certainly agree, the top-down, I mean, we, we have a, a core investment proposition um, which runs, um, you know, risk grades one to seven. That is managed by our investment team of Gerald Lyons and Ian Barnes um, as strategist, chief strategist and uh, portfolio manager. Um, with the split there, uh, a very deliberate split between what is a, a macro view and outlook um, globally um, for Gerald Lyons and then for Ian Barnes, who's a, a multi-asset portfolio manager through and through, 
um, it's really, uh, you know, his primary role is then taking that and, you know, portfolio construction, um, instrument selection and risk management of the, the portfolios on a, on a um, day-to-day basis. Just before you finish, and how will you measure that? What are you going to measure yourself against? Are you going to use traditional benchmarks, wealth manager benchmarks, or private client indices? What? How are you going to? How are you going to tell the client whether they've done well or badly with your discretionary? Well, it's an interesting question. It's how how you know you the some people might measure us um, is one thing, and how we uh, what we really set out to achieve for our clients might be might be somewhat different. You know, we're never going to avoid being measured against the variety of private clients, uh, indices, or other multi-asset offerings. But if you, our, our aim is ultimately, you know, medium to long-term real capital growth. So uh, you know, it's back to inflation plus a plus a tiny bit to inflation plus more because that's really what matters to to end clients. So yes, we'll measure ourselves internally. I'm sure we'll be measured against others. Um, we do think, though, that our, our you know a very strategic based approach to diversify asset allocation. Number one, the ability to change that slow time, um, you know, on a cyclical basis to prepare for upcoming events or to ultimately position ourselves within a business cycle with humans, um, human oversight and a human hand on the tiller um, is the right approach versus you know completely. Um, robo offering but neither are we um throwing it around on an active management basis so clearly these are the asset allocation is actively managed but with a, a very big emphasis on that strategic allocation and what uh, if i'm if i'm a client who signed up with you and obviously you're going to i think you're going to provide um, you know very frequent updates of performance and everything else on, on the website presumably one of the things that uh, IT can give you nowadays is, is a much better reporting about what you're yes. actually done. So that that's important, and I think um, people will look at what you're doing there with interest. Um, but is, if I'm a client, can I still ring you up and say, you know, something terrible's happened, or I'm really not very happy about what you're doing, or whatever? How does how does that kind of interaction work, or are you just kind of, you know, twice a year you get a, a something through the email that tells you how well you've done? No, well, all of our you know, the technology allows us to update. All of this daily, so you know your reporting is there when you want it. We don't necessarily expect people to go in every day, um, but it's there whenever you want it updated to yesterday night. Um, and be that what you own, be that how um, the performance has come about. So how have I made or lost money in the last three months, for example, is a question I'm constantly asking myself um, when I look at my portfolio. But no system I, I've used tells me. Um, so all right the data is there somewhere. I have to yeah. download it and make my own spreadsheet to do it. So that we we've kind of bypassed that for people. Um, so you can literally go down to the individual um, you know instruments that you're invested in and see their contribution to investment returns. Um, and you know back to um, portfolio planning, which I'll come back to half of the question that I didn't answer earlier. Um, but this is about um, the ability to project forward your portfolios and look at what. What are the potential range of outcomes of those portfolios, those investments, and measure them against the reason that you were investing in the first place? So we allow people to, for each account they have with us, you can subdivide as many times as you like. So if you think, I mean, my, we don't expect people to do that too many times. But if I think about, you know, I have some school fees to pay and I have a retirement income to plan for um, as my two main investment aims, um, each of those can be managed at a different level of risk 
So for my retirement, it's, it's much higher um, risk return profile that I'm interested in having and, and much more conservative for school fees, both with respect to you know, my willingness to fall short of those school fees and, my, and the timescales involved. But that then leads into, you know, how do we assess risk um, and how do we look at that risk? Because when I go in and, and refresh that portfolio projection and those potential range of outcomes, it's measured against what, I've, what I'm hoping to take out of that portfolio. So if I said I, I want to pay these school fees between this date and this date, it's looking at a, really an income stream, a liability stream that I've got. And everything um, on that projection is measured against that. So the risk is really measured in how many years short of the, of the end date, my child's 21st birthday, it, it falls short. So that sort of frames our um, onboarding process as well. When you mentioned, you know, the questionnaire, if you like, we don't actually have a questionnaire when you're designing each portfolio. We allow you to subdivide each one. Um, and really, it's it's um, measuring. You know, it's, it's giving people a choice of risk. But risk is not just the the risk profile of the portfolio, but because it's a, a little ecosystem of how much I put in, yeah. the risk, the taxation in the particular wrapper that I'm doing, and also you know my expectations for what I'm going to take out. Maybe so, I, I simply have unrealistic expectations, and and. This is a discovery process. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no one questionnaire with a recommendation afterwards. In other words, you're, you're providing a better, a better uh, risk analysis process for uh, individual investors than they would typically get from the normal kind of communication you have from a, from a wealth manager or so on. Because you're, I presume you're using historic data, but you're calculating um, a range of probabilities for each, uh, each of a number of outcomes. So it's a slightly more uh, a broader brush approach, if you like, a more, a more meaningful approach. You're providing a fan diagram and things like that so people can see so, uh, and then as you say interpreting that as how how far have i fallen short of my objective or how how far am i likely to fall short of my objective and so on so it's quite a clever tool i have looked at it and i, I can see uh, i mean i'm familiar with those from other places but the, yeah. the way you've done it is very uh, is very accessible so i'm sure people will appreciate that i suppose the other question then the final question really is you set up this business i don't know whether you've got any clients yet apart from yourself but um uh, i hope you do well with that how are you going to make any money out of this? I mean, obviously, when fees come down, uh, margins come down for uh, for the providers, and uh, you're obviously doing this in in order to make a, uh, a sustainable business. So, yes. is there enough margin at uh, at thirty five basis points to uh, to you know to make a decent living for yourself as well, or uh, or is it the case that um, those fees might change over time? The business is premised on a certain scale, of course. Um, but when you look at um, you know the, the layers of cost that you can strip away by starting again with a with what we think is a, a far more sensible business model, um, you know that is you know, you can build a sustainable business, albeit you know you do need a few billion pounds under management to break even. So in terms of though you know where those cost efficiencies have really come from, um, you know we've stripped away all illusion of bespoke portfolios and the personnel that are required to run that illusion. Because in many ways, you know, if you think all of the, all of the traditional wealth managers have very good investment teams at their core, um, and if they're producing their best portfolios, to so call them their model portfolios, to then have someone else tinker with it just doesn't make any sense at all. Someone who's less qualified um, is changing the, the best output of the, best, of the good team. So for that, we've stripped that away. And, and you know, some people may not like 
you know, the fact that I'm now in a standardized portfolio, but for us, that is very much our best portfolio, so you should be in it. So that's kind of key stage one in stripping out costs, which just allows for those fees to come down immediately, regardless of any other efficiencies. Um, we can use technology, though, and, and how we've discussed the planning aspects and being able to plan for each different piece I need money for. That's where we think you know, that then becomes technology allowing for a bespoke service by a customer. Even though we have our standard propositions, which we think are the right thing and the best thing to do, you can then um, make a bespoke service. And because a lot of that planning and, and you know, subdivision of financial goals is very much technology enabled, you can have that bespoke service by, by person and by you know, network or individual can, can plan for multiple different things. But of course, that's eminently scalable because you don't need human involvement. And in fact, you know, technology makes it a much more powerful um, tool than just having a human do it. We would then be needing to use those tools anyway. But of course, traditionally, I mean, I, I like the way you describe that as the, the illusion of what you may get in certain other places at the moment. But in practice, uh, one thing that people do appreciate is the ability to be able to pick up the phone and talk to somebody who who uh, who is fully, you know, maybe doing his own thing a little bit in the, with his portfolio, but uh, at least to someone you can uh, pick up the phone and talk to and go to the golf course and have lunch with, which uh, some people seem to value uh, surprisingly yeah. highly. <laughs> That's, I mean, we so we have people you can talk to um, on different levels. So obviously, we have a client service team um, that you can pick up the phone to. We also have um, uh, qualified, so regulated, if you like, uh, financial advisors who are ultimately able to give investment advice. Um, so it's restricted investment advice because they just work for us rather than a whole market. And that is something that people can have on an ongoing basis or can have one-off advice. So we charge extra for it because we believe that people who don't want it shouldn't have to pay for it. But the rates we charge, um, well, we think are, are very competitive. So it's £125 an hour, including the AT, for up to um, have consultations and reports back from um, our investment advisors. And if you want to select an ongoing relationship with that advisor, um, you can add that on for 0.2%. So that would involve you know, a regular um, review and report on your portfolio. We won't be taking people to golf. Um, you know, we do, we do think this is one of the things that, you know, it's a little bit unnecessary. It's very nice, but when you think about what, what you're potentially paying for that round of golf or the tickets to Lords, um, you know, you could quite easily, um, you know, take the cost savings and go with your friends uh, rather than, your, your investment advisor, um, have a better day and, and be, frankly, better off. Yeah, so those, uh, those, those extra savings uh, can compound into quite a large sum of money. I think on that uh, note, uh, Tom, thank you very much for this, uh, taking your time to speak to us today. Um, I wish you well with this new venture. I think uh, clearly there are going to be others who are going to come into this space. It's going to become more competitive. That's a good thing for everybody. And I think people should have a look at, uh, at what you're offering. The website is uh, netwealth.com, I think. And... Um, uh, thanks very much for your uh, for your time today. So there we are, one new firm's take on a new way of managing private client money that I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about in the future. We all wait to see how the established firms in this business will react. Will they cut their fees now that European regulators are demanding more transparency in the way they charge and disclose those charges to clients? Will they too, like NetWealth and other firms such as Seven Investment Management, now move towards greater use of standardised portfolios made up of largely cheap and cheerful passive funds and ETFs? What will happen to the traditional lunch and golf with your clients approach of some of the older city firms?
All this is up in the air for now. Personally, I rather doubt that things will change that rapidly. Private clients are typically cautious group, slow to change their ways. I have no idea which of the newcomer firms either will succeed in overthrowing the established players, though some inevitably will do so. But for anyone who does already take an interest in how their money is managed or is thinking about doing so, there's absolutely nothing to be lost by checking out what newcomer firms like Wealthnet are offering and seeing how that compares with more traditional providers. A cost saving of 1% per annum can make a huge difference to the value of our savings when compounded over a lifetime. In this, as in most things, competition is greatly to be welcomed. Thank you again for listening to this Money Makers broadcast. I hope you'll join us again soon. You can follow what uh, our future program is going to be by going to the website, www.money-makers.co.